Hi, welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your host, Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. And I'm your co-host, Jim Aloisi. I'm also on the board of Transit Matters. Today, we're joined by Chris Osgood. He's the chief of streets for the city of Boston. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Chris, a couple of things we wanted to talk to you about today. I guess the first one is, um, I know that you and Transit Matters and a variety of other folks, City of Cambridge, Somerville and others, have been working really closely with the MBTA on improving bus service in the early morning and late night hours. Uh, The T began the early morning uh, pilot, uh, I think about a month, a month and a half ago, April 1st. 1st. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hear it's it's an enormous success. Um, and I think the, we have the expectation that what we call night bus, which is the, the late night service from 1 a.m. to 4 or 5 a.m., uh, we might have a pilot up and running sometime in the fall right after Labor Day. So I wanted to ask you, from the city's perspective, um, how's early morning bus going, and um, what, what are your thoughts about having uh, being able to celebrate 24-7 service sometime in the fall? Sure. We're absolutely thrilled by uh, the fact that Sunrise Service uh, has started, as you said, started on April 1st. In many ways, it's been um, a really great last uh, six weeks for transit uh, in the city of Boston and the Boston region. I think it was April 1st we started Sunrise Service, or the MBTA started Sunrise Service. Uh, I believe April 23rd is when the MBTA uh, started the SL3. Uh, and at the beginning of this month is when uh, the T and the city collaborated on the Rosendale bus pilot. So a lot of good things that are going forward. And just as you said, um, that work is really the result of a lot of good collaboration and partnership. And I give a lot of credit to Transit Matters for your long-term advocacy around uh, late night, overnight uh, bus service, really as an equity issue within our city and within our region. And so as uh, you're well aware, we've done a lot of work with the T, with our partners in Somerville and Cambridge, and certainly uh, uh, with you, to really document uh, the need for a service that goes beyond uh, 1 a.m. and that starts before 6 a.m. So we're thrilled that uh, the MBTA has uh, launched Sunrise Service, that we've got people who have now have a chance to ride a bus. Um, I think there's 17 new bus trips that are happening um, before 5 a.m. Uh, that are sort of part of the Sunrise Service offering. And as you said, uh, we've heard as well uh, anecdotally at this point that uh, it's been well-received and they're getting really good ridership. Yeah, and, and to, to our listeners, uh, Sunrise Service sounds a little uh, spiritual. <laughs> um, and for many of us, bus service is spiritual in a, in a way, but uh, this service is helping people who have to get to jobs really early get to those jobs. And I would just say and acknowledge we appreciate Mayor Walsh's commitment and leadership and yours, Chris, yep. to working with us and others uh, and the T uh, to make that happen. So we're glad to see that. Now, um, in connection with better bus transit, the city is also working with the T to uh, do some interesting uh, experiment, might be the wrong word, but uh, uh, pilots on uh, improving bus service using dedicated bus lanes. Absolutely. I know you've been doing that in Roslindale recently. Mm-hmm. Give us a sense of what's going on and how that's working out. Sure. Uh, so we've been working with our partners at the MBTA and sort of the community of Rosendale uh, to uh, help everybody who is riding on a bus between Rosendale Square and Forest Hills to be able to have a, a more reliable commute. Uh, so last winter we did a sort of a, a two-day 
test of what it would be like to provide a dedicated lane in a lane that is typically used for parking in the morning. Uh, that then sort of rolled into uh, what is a four-week uh, pilot, uh, which started May 7th and will run through the beginning of June. And through that pilot, essentially, we are providing that dedicated lane inbound in a lane that is typically used for parking in the mornings. Uh, and by providing a, a lane that is dedicated for um, not just MBTA buses, but also school buses and bikes, uh, we are providing, I think, uh, at least in our initial feedback that we've heard, some very good uh, more consistent service and uh, more desirable service for people who are using that dedicated lane. And additionally, by not having buses sort of weave in and out of uh, other vehicular traffic, we're also able to help people who are driving a car as well be able to get uh, through that corridor more efficiently. Have you, had, have you had any feedback about how bikes are negotiating that um, bus and it's also a bike lane? Yep, absolutely. So we've certainly heard... Uh, we've apologize. Uh, we've certainly heard um, uh, some good feedback at this point. It's largely anecdotal, but uh, from the Rossi Bikes um, uh, community, uh, and they really like the dedicated lane. Um, it is uh, it gives sort of a, a, a broader uh, area and a more uh, sort of safe and comfortable ride, sort of in that key corridor every morning. So it's been a very very well received by that community as well. How long? How, what's the length of this dedicated lane? Do you know? Yeah, it, it's about a mile. It runs from yeah. essentially where Cummins Highway uh, inter, uh, intersects with Washington Street up to Ukraine Way, uh, at which point it then sort of re-enters uh, sort of mixed traffic that last maybe 100 yards until it gets to the sort of upper busway at uh, Forest Hills. So how closely did the city work with the local residents uh, and businesses and the T, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, before this got implemented? Tell us a little bit about what that process looks like and how it works. So Sure. Uh, so there was, uh, I would say, a pair of different uh, sort of moments of coordination. One was just a broad effort in figuring out what are some of the key areas in the city that we should really be prioritizing for uh, dedicated bus lanes or for uh, transit signal priority for buses. This particular corridor actually has a majority of people both in the AM commute and in the PM commute on buses as opposed to in cars or on bikes that are in this corridor. So it, it seemed a natural one for us to be able to uh, prioritize. Uh, right along with that, uh, there was some very strong uh, community outreach, um, particularly from groups like uh, Walk Up Razi that had a, a great interest in us figuring out how we actually make buses go through this corridor uh, more reliably. All of that sort of helped us identify this as a key priority area for us. And ever since then, uh, we've had a lot of outreach uh, with neighborhood organizations, uh, business by business, um, uh, sort of making sure that people were able to uh, voice their thoughts and opinions as we develop the pilot, and certainly that continues now. So anybody who has a, an opinion on the pilot, we encourage them to reach out to the Transportation Department. Uh, BTD has been a, a terrific leader in, in doing a lot of that outreach so that folks can reach out to BTD and give their feedback on the pilot. And we hope to be taking some of that feedback and rolling that into the evaluation of whether this pilot should be uh, sustained after its completion. Chris, do you have any data yet on time maybe that's being saved? So not yet, but we will be able to get that data both from school buses and MBTA buses, uh, looking at both uh, sort of the speed of the trip, but also just the, the overall reliability of that trip. Are our, our, uh, buses really coming through that corridor at the predicted uh, pace? Uh, and that's one of the key sort of uh, stats that we're looking at in this. You bring up a really good point with saying that school buses are also using this, which is, uh, I think, a very perhaps overlooked by a lot of people importance, um, not only on that corridor, but pretty much every major corridor right. in the city. Is that, is the the number of school buses using a route in addition to the transit share going to be considered when you roll this out to other places? Absolutely. Uh, and to your point, it, 
uh, when we were first focused on this, uh, really we were looking at MBTA trips. Uh, and in collaboration and conversation with uh, the Boston Public Schools, we realized how important it was and how valuable it was uh, to be able to also create this as a way of making sure that, that kids get to school on time. And so uh, that is certainly one of the things we're going to be looking at. What are those corridors where there's a high number of um, BPS school, school kids on buses as well as a high number of people who are on MBTA buses? So w- one thing that Jim brought up and you, you also um – mentioned was the, the heavy involvement of um, groups in Rosendale activating and, and, and advocating for this um, bus pilot. Yep. They have some extraordinarily um, active groups there with Walk Up Rosie mm-hmm. and, and Rosie Bikes and, and things like that. And they've also been very active with trying to make sure, working with Livable Streets and others, try to make sure that um, community, the community and bus riders are giving their feedback um, yes. f- for this and, and saying that you know, they are pre- appreciating it. A concern, I have a twofold concern. One is, um, why do we need subjective feedback as opposed to just data to tell us that this works and where to use it in, yeah. in the future? And secondly is, should we be concerned that communities who don't have that type of activation will not be considered uh, for a future rollout of, um, of bus lanes? That's a great question, great pair of questions. So uh, really the thing that is maybe driving our prioritization uh, is from uh, – from an understanding of within the system, where are there high numbers of bus riders going very low speed? So there was some great research by CTPS that essentially highlighted uh, highlighted this. Uh, sorry, will I silence my phone? Uh, and uh, we're using that in many ways as uh, the way in which we're going to prioritize where we're going to be doing our, our, our focal work. Um, that uh, paired with the key quarters uh, that were identified in Go Boston 2030 that perhaps are not served or not served as well as they could be right now, places like Mattapan Square to the LMA or North Station to the South Boston Waterfront. Uh, that, that sort of data backbone really sort of guides the, the bulk of our work. I do think that there is things that get picked up through qualitative feedback that really actually help us refine a pilot. Um, what do we do at particular intersections? Uh, how do we think about uh, curbside pickup and drop-off for daycare? How do we think about handling commercial loading for retail establishments? These are the sort of things that are harder to pick up from, uh, from, from data sets and really require face-to-face conversations with, uh, with businesses to figure out how do we get them right in these corridors. Does the city have personnel that are gathering the feedback, or are they relying on um, partner advocacy groups? Yeah. Uh, both. So we've been uh, greatly aided by Livable Streets. Uh, they've been a terrific partner in this uh, in this process, doing a lot of uh, really good outreach, as well as MAPC, which helped us with uh, a, a fabulous parking study to understand how the curb was really being used uh, on that stretch in, on Washington Street. Um, we also have a number of people from the Boston Transportation Department who have really been going uh, truly business by business, uh, door to door, getting feedback, uh, and a lot of credit to Pat Hoey, who's one of the, the planners who works for Vinny Gupta and Gina Fiendaka, uh, who has done a lot of that on-the-ground uh, outreach. Speaking of uh, BTD personnel, I think that's a perfect segue into the kind of the next topic we wanted to discuss, which was the infusion, the commitment um, by, by the city um, of, of future parking revenues um, towards um, transportation improvements and, and personnel, so operations, and maybe capital too. Um, but maybe you could explain more to us how the money would be used, how it's going to be split out, um, and what type of personnel you're looking to hire. It is absolutely the perfect segue. We realized sort of through this process that implementing and running uh, things like a dedicated bus lane really do take um, significant staff time. And the mayor wanted to make sure that we had the staff able to actually uh, not just do it in one corridor in one neighborhood, but really expand that more broadly throughout the city, which is why uh, the mayor announced as part of his proposed FY19 uh, budget, 
we would be uh, updating our parking fines and using uh, the revenue that we would expect uh, from the updated parking fines um, to really improve transportation across a number of the key things that were identified in Go Boston 2030. One of those things is to create the city's first ever transit team. Uh, this would be a team that essentially allows us to do things like coordinate with the MBTA uh, more directly on big capital projects, but also uh, work with them on, on corridor strategies and, and specific efforts, things like transit signal priority for the Silver Line, things like dedicated bus lanes and more, more places throughout the city. That transit team would have a sort of lead transit coordinator, um, as well as a engineer who could work on some of the TSP uh, projects, and then specific people who would be out in the field every single day managing a dedicated bus lane, putting up the signs, coordinating with constituents, uh, and enforcing the actual uh, dedicated bus lane. Making sure bus lanes stay painted and things like that. All those things, exactly right. So optimally, this would begin sometime after July 1st? That's right. So uh, there are a couple of steps. Uh, later this week, um, on Thursday, May 24th, uh, we'll be having a city council hearing on the updated parking fines. Um, and uh, we can have sort of as an aside about the parking fines. These are things which really haven't been adjusted since 2008. Uh, we're looking to bring them up to sort of more what we've seen from our from peer cities across uh, the rest of the country and is really a response to the fact that we have seen a skyrocketing number of requests for parking enforcement uh, from constituents across the city. By updating uh, fines around a number of things, we think we're going to be able to improve street conditions as, as is, but we'd also be able to take some of that new revenue uh, and be able to hire staff after July 1st of this year. Uh, that can help us push forward our transit work. In addition, really push forward things like uh, more dedicated uh, or protected bike lanes, uh, improve the safety of some of our, our key intersections in the city, expand our neighborhood slow streets programs, and a variety of other investments. I think it's a really smart first step to sort of go to the folks who yeah. are the violators or scoff laws to say, well, we're going to charge you more, but we're going to use that money in a very specific transparent and appropriate way. Um, so, so good luck with this. I think we, many of us are looking forward to seeing it. Um, I, I think it also goes to this whole conversation is really about the renaissance of bus. Mm -hmm. You know, that Boston is a world-class city, 24-7 city, and, and even though the MBTA runs the bus system, Boston has a clear, just like every other city in town, uh, in the MBTA, in, in the core, has a clear interest in thinking about how the bus experience can be improved in ways that reduce traffic congestion, create safety, it, it create higher levels of accessibility right. for people, for seniors, um, and frankly, safer travel for students. So it's good to see the city partnering with not just advocacy groups, but the T, it, it, as we're really transforming how we think about the bus transit experience. Is that a major part of Will you see the city's focus over the next several years? I know you've got a lot on your plate, but... As we think about the role of the transit team, it really is focused primarily on how we improve buses. And as you said, uh, that is a collaboration between the MBTA and municipalities. Uh, we certainly recognize that in the city of Boston. And we are excited about the progress we've made over the last uh, six weeks and excited about the work that we have in front of us that we, that we still need to get done. As you think about the big challenges that Boston faces, how we manage growth, how we... Uh, uh, increase equity, how we improve resiliency and reduce emissions. Helping more people get on the bus is key to that, and that really means improving the bus experience, making it more reliable, uh, making it more efficient as it, as it courses through our city. And that has a lot to do with our signals, has a lot to do with how we use our streets, and that is why we're doing things like updating our parking fines so that we can actually invest in a transit team in the city. Do you have an idea of how that um, $5 million, um, estimated mm -hmm. uh, would break down between um, capital uh, and personnel hiring? Yeah. 
Uh, so it is majority actually capital. So it would um, uh, there's a little over between a million and two million for personnel, uh, and the balance would actually be for capital, which would go into things like roadway resurfacing, repairing sidewalks. Um, and making investments that are actually sort of particular to a new way in which we're doing sidewalk investment in the city of Boston. We're really looking at building uh, sort of a rebuilding sort of good pedestrian networks that support things like good transit travel across the city. In the past, our sidewalk uh, capital budget has largely been based on uh, where we've done maintenance repairs in the past, so taking something from a temporary repair to a permanent repair. While we'll still be doing some of that, what we've realized is that by only doing that, you actually miss rebuilding some of those key pedestrian corridors in our city, uh, particularly in places that have chronically been underinvested in the past. Do you, you think that might include things like bus bulbouts or platforms that are elevated to speed boarding? And Absolutely. So uh, we're, in fact, uh, although not funded through this, um, through uh, a project which is kicking off this year, the reconstruction of Summer Street between uh, the Four Point Channel and West Service Road. Uh, we're actually going to be rebuilding the, those bus stops to actually uh, better accommodate uh, bus, bus boarding as part of it. I guess the, the last question that I have on, on the um, bus to this topic is um, how do you see, I know you've talked about um, working with the MBTA a lot, um, inter, um, between municipalities mm -hmm. is probably going to be very important, and how do you see that happening? Do, do the other municipalities have people in like similar transit teams that you, you'll be able to work with? So uh, the Boston Transportation Department has been convening what they're calling the Better Bus Working Group, um, and one of those pieces, uh, what one of those meetings sort of sort of typically includes people from uh, Cambridge and occasionally Somerville. So we're thinking about how we work as a uh, as a region and not just as a city. Uh, and I think that is that's critical. I mean, nobody necessarily thinks of their uh, daily commute by municipal boundaries. Uh, they think much more uh, much more regionally or across municipal borders. And we want to make sure that our planning and our implementation really reflects that. Chris, I know you, you we're short on time. You, you've got to be at a, at a meeting back at City Hall um, as we close this session out with you. Um, what, do I, what should our listeners be looking forward to over the next 12 months or so coming out of your department? Uh, is it basically the beginning of implementing Go Boston 2030? What, what would, what's, what's the takeaway that you'd like to have listeners have in terms of the work you're doing? So I think that's exactly right, that we have gone from a moment where we were uh, engaging a city in planning to now really engaging the city in the implementation of Go Boston 2030. Um, and that really requires uh, us to be able to expand our staff capacity uh, and work uh, even more intensively with communities to be able to uh, to get out onto the streets some of the things that are line, uh, outlined in Go Boston 2030, things like dedicated bus lanes in some of the key corridors in our city. I also think that, uh, you know, where we are now is, is really the result of a lot of good engagement and advocacy by a large number of organizations, um, organizations like Transit Matters, also community organizations. And so I, I think that one of the things that I would expect to continue to see is uh, sort of deep engagement with uh, both Boston community organizations, regional organizations, and other municipalities to figure out how we as a region really uh, change the conversation around transportation and get more people on transit. Chris Osgood, City of Boston's Chief of Streets. Thank you for joining uh, Josh and I today on the podcast. My pleasure. So, Josh, um, it was good to have Chris Osgood here. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about the sort of what I call this bus renaissance. We've got the city of Everett doing a lot in connection with uh, demonstrating the, the, the usefulness of, uh, of dedicated bus lanes. We've got Boston doing this in Roslindale. Boston had an experiment uh, before that in Washington Street. Um, later this year, I, as I understand it, you're going to see similar 
uh, pilot programs in uh, in Cambridge and in Arlington. So there's clearly an effort within the inner core, and I, ha I heard the other day Somerville wanted to do something as well, uh, to transform how people are perceiving the bus transit experience. My feeling of this is um, it's a very positive thing, but it also is a threatening thing. There are people, long-term residents of neighborhoods, maybe don't fully understand its implications to them. Businesses sometimes are concerned that it might have a negative impact on foot traffic. Um, I think the question to you is, um, how do we get the message out that people ought to embrace these experiments, take a look at them, and actually participate in refining them, not be threatened by them? Well, I think the question becomes a little easier when you think about the numbers. So we're, we're beginning these um, pilots in corridors that already have a large plurality, if not a majority, of total um, um, people passing through those corridors. Um, so you have fewer vehicles being buses carrying a majority of the people. So the question really becomes how do you activate those people? Um, because if you add up the cumulative you know, time you know, wasted or saved um, between actual number of persons, um, then it's quite significant. And I think that it kind of answers the question for itself. And I think if uh, you're thinking about a lot of these things can rise or fall based on um, the, the advocacy within City Hall of um, city councilors and things like that. And I think if, they're, if they've got sort of the black and white, um, as well as some anecdotal you know, stories um, from some people that they can connect with uh, in their neighborhoods, then they'll begin to see that this is a, a real savings and really benefiting a lot of people um, because the net out, it, it will, some people will feel that their travel is being impinged upon. Um, but I think we need to focus on the net out for the whole system, um, as well as we need to find ways of um, using metrics and, and data to measure the savings uh, also to the MBTA. Uh, buses will run um, more on their schedule. They'll be arriving sooner at their terminus. They'll be able to turn around and go back. That means we, we would expect at least um, at least 10% uh, increase in bus service just based on making these kinds of changes. I mean, 10% is what you get from just switching to all-door boarding. That's not even counting the bus lane itself. Um, so it could be quite significant when you add all the things that we know we should be doing and we can see in other places. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking more and more lately about the streetscape as, as a taxpayer-funded environment, you know. It may be obvious to people, but it seems to me that what we're beginning to recognize is, is we're all citizens and taxpayers. We all should have a fair shake, fair shot at how that streetscape functions for us. And so the, the desire to have safe cycling lanes, the desire to see dedicated bus lanes, as well as parking and, and, and mobility and pedestrian mobility, each one of those people in mobility, whether it's the driver, whether it's the walker, whether it's the cyclist, or whether it's the people on the bus, they're all paying the same share of tax dollar for that streetscape. They need to be treated equitably. That has not been true because we've been dealing with an old mid-20th century paradigm which gave only the driver that priority. Well, and frankly, when, when there wasn't as much congestion, then it wasn't really holding back buses too much. Um, so, you know, when, when there was the very first interplay between streetcars and, and automobiles, you still had streetcars running in the middle of the streets, and there wasn't enough traffic yet for it to be an issue. And we had the same issue, uh, the same thing happened in the 50s and 60s with, with buses. It just, there just wasn't enough 
congestion altogether. I mean, there were in downtown areas, but in sure. the neighborhoods, you know, you weren't seeing as much of no, this. No, and now we're suffering from chronic congestion. And I think you see more and more people trying to devise ways to relieve it. I think t for mass is talking about congestion pricing as a way to change behavior and reduce congestion on the highway system. I think having dedicated bus lanes is, a, is another way to think about congestion within the urban core. Right? We all know how congested it is. People do need to think about changing behavior, but you're not going to get more people on a bus unless you give them a better bus experience. Yeah. And the best, if you go to any great city in the world, the best bus experiences are the ones where you see guys on the bus in shirt sleeves and guys standing next to guys in cufflinks, right? It's egalitarian. Everyone's on it, and they're on it because it's the best way to get from point A to point B. And I think you're seeing that a lot in places like Southie and, and Roslindale, um, and JP, you're seeing a lot of bus riders um, who are going downtown for whatever their white collar job is, and they're mixing with all the other people that I think a lot of um, a lot of citizens may still assume are riding the bus. Um, but it's it's a true mixture, and to the extent that that mixture continues to exist um, and even improves, that will increase the advocacy um, to make these things actually happen. And and also, I think making that mixture of riders, as opposed, besides simply um, making it known the number of riders that are choosing one mode or the other bus versus, you know, a car. It's also really important to for us to to know what is the mix of the people riding those uh, buses and what is the purpose of their ride because that's another piece of information that I think is important um, for uh, politicians and, and others that need to get gather the data and crunch that yep. data to know, uh, and which feeds into kind of a systematic look at our bus system. You know, our bus system in Boston, as well as most other cities um, that have legacy systems, uh, but more so in Boston, where we had a very intricate or a very um, a very large streetcar system, is that our bus system is based on streetcar routes, and we don't have a lot of grid type roads, mm-hmm. um, and so we still have the same buses on the same you know routes, and um, as the region has grown, um, driven by you know Route 128 being built out, and also driven by you know more recently infill uh, real estate prices, you know driving these things, we have a lot more travel that doesn't just go downtown or requires transfers. And if you're just going downtown to transfer, then that's um, adding extra time to your trip. It's also uh, adding congestion to the transit system yes. uh, in those downtown nodes. And I think one thing that um, is very exciting that the MBTA is is launching and the, the city of Boston will be able to help with their new transit team is reimagining um, what bus service should look like. Um, the urban ring was something that was, um, I'm sure you're very familiar with, <laughs> um, was brought up as wh- how can we have a circumferential um, transportation option? And of course, we were talking about doing this with um, the green line or you know separated right of way, um, light rail or subway in a lot of places. But it was very difficult to do that, you know, going through Brookline or Roxbury or places like that. And uh, I think buses, you know, some of it we're seeing happen with the Silver Line. Um, and probably the next stage of the mm-hmm. Silver Line will, will actually have finished off maybe a third of that entire Vision. Well, yeah, this dirty little secret is like Silver Line 3 is phase one of what was used to be called Urban Ring, right? Right. And I think there's some interest in maybe expanding that out to Everett. Sure. And p- but places like Somerville, Cambridge, Brookline, and parts of Boston, um, finishing that ring is not really going to be possible probably with the separated, you know, at least in the early stages, it's going to be much more economical and feasible Um to do this with the kinds of treatments we're talking about in, in the Rosendale bus lane? Well, we're, lu- we're lucky. Look, we've got a mayor in Boston, a mayor in Everett, a uh, mayor in Somerville. We've got um, councilors and town managers in, in Cambridge and Chelsea who all get the importance of bus transit, and they seem to be doing it all uniformly at the same time. 
Um, it's an encouraging development, and I think that people who are listeners of the Transit Matters podcast need to, need to think about the importance of bus transit, support it, think about how to support these elected officials as they're doing this, because, you know, many other places nationally or in the world, this has already happened. In Boston, we're still pushing the envelope. We're pioneering, and, and we need to use these developments and leverage them, I think, to, to really prove to, to people that bus is not what they think it used to be, but it can be something much better. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the exciting things about using bus as a mode is that you really can get a lot of bang for your investment buck. So there's a lot of places in Boston that probably if you look at um, the ridership uh, between origin and destination pairs where people are coming from and want to go, that probably would justify um, a subway tunnel or things like that. Like if you really look at where things are and where they're headed, um, the cost is so exorbitant that it's going to take us a while to get around to all those projects. Um, we've got projects that are on the shelf um, yeah. that have to be dealt with first. But with bus, you – and once we have a transit team in the city, and of course other cities are having these too, we can work together to more quickly implement these kinds of solutions and figure out the best way to do it um, to where we're sort of softly landing these things um, and not scaring people with exactly. quick rollout of huge changes to their lives. But you know, one of the things that Transit Matters had um, – you know put out into the, into the thought um, cloud was, you know, for example, um, you know, on Summer Street, you have a commercial area, um, a very wide street for Boston. We had kind of envisioned that as, um, you know, you could eventually, um, in not too much time, but in phases, make Summer Street sort of the backbone of a new network that th- reimagines how um, the seaport is connected to places like Roxbury, uh, or sorry, Dudley Square, yep. and North Station, and the Back Bay, mm-hmm. um, just by doing some tweaks and some additions um, with the resources we already have, um, you you could uh, expand a bus lane type treatments, um, priority type treatments, uh, maybe not along entire roads, but in, in certain congested corridors, um, to allow connections, you know, say from North Station to City Point. Um, and, 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 all, and maybe there could be six different routes or three, three to six different routes that could do that. Yeah, no, I think we're all looking forward to Summer Street. Um, it's a key route, getting people to and from Logan, getting people to and from parts of South Boston, um, supporting the Seaport District, supporting equity from people coming in on the Fairmount line at South Station. Uh, I think uh, we, we all need to stay tuned and, and hope that that is uh, something that we can we can look to in the future as an important bus transit. And frankly, car. if you're thinking about international best practices about how to get these things going, um, going for easy wins. I mean, we want to include every neighborhood that needs these, but yes. going for easy wins in areas that are highly visible to the most people. And yes. that's one of the, you know, Roslindale bus corridor, that's great for the people who live there. Um, but a much higher percentage of the entire metropolitan area is going through the seaport on a daily Correct. basis than is going down Washington Street in Roslindale. Much higher profile. Right. And and being a commercial area, you're not having to fight with people over a bus stop being moved mm-hmm. or, or placed on the front, yon, front lawn. Um, so there's a lot of things that are exciting about an area like that as a way to, oh, you know, we can we can make some changes here without really disrupting, you know, where people are living. Um, not only that, but if 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 one of our concerns in using streetscape is is worrying about maybe parking revenues, we just built a huge parking garage uh, in the seaport. There's lots of lots and there's lots of ways that we can think about funding um, sharing of revenues from parking as the city begins to think about how to best use the curb space. Well, thank you, Josh. That'll do it for now. Um, let's wrap this one up. I'm Jim Aloisi. And I'm Josh Fairchild. See you next time.